Hi, everybody. It's Richard Zwicky with The Green Peak. And joining us this week, we have Sarah Gullickson, who's the founder and chief executive officer of the Cannabis Business Advisors. Welcome aboard, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. So, Sarah, you know, um, Cannabis Business Advisors, your background in the industry, you've been involved for uh, over a decade now. I think you hold licenses in multiple states. You've been involved as an investor, a strategist, and dealing with corporate structure, financing, and of course, operations. How did you get into the industry and what drives you forward uh, continuously to keep growing in the space? Yeah. So, I mean, I like you said, I've been in the industry over a decade. So, the industry was, was much different back then. <laughs> it was definitely more, you know, grassroots and... Uh- Absolutely. For the people that were out of the box thinkers. And I was always that. I was young um, and naive. And, and We're all still young and naive. Let's never, <laughs> never undersell ourselves. <laughs> um, and so I was, I was at the right place at the right time. And I used to handle some marketing and PR for um, health clients. So spa salons and health facilities. And a cannabis company said, hey, do you want to you know, help us break into Arizona? And I thought it was super interesting. And my family had more of like a naturopathic approach to health. Um, and so the stars aligned and I, I buckled up and had no idea what I was in for, but I'm, I'm still here today. <laughs> <laughs> You're still there. Did, did you grow up in Arizona or you moved there for the business? Um, I actually grew up in Minnesota and then okay. I came to Arizona for uh, college. Oh, fantastic. So, you know, th- I mean, your background with regards to your family believing in the the natural medicine space, the growing up with that, that's, that's pretty common for people who've grown up through the industry, but not everybody made the jump into building businesses within the space. A lot of people got involved in the growth side in terms of helping individuals with stuff, but you took it a step further and a lot earlier than others. And today you um, own licenses in multiple states. How, how do you... Um, do you operate in multiple states? Are you growing the business across a lot of the areas? What do you look at where it's going for you in the next couple of years? So typically, I don't operate my own licenses. A lot of the licenses that I've got have been either as a thank you for helping the client secure the license, because that's what our firm does is, you know, like license acquisition by way of application and right. or, um, purchase. Um, And so some of them just like naturally came to me and those are my favorite because you have a group of great local people and they run it and then they call you when they need you. So like this morning on one of my facilities, we were having a conversation about, you know, our strategy to go recreational. So I love, I love being a part of the business from like a strategy level. Um, But from a day-to-day level, it's, you know, nearly impossible. I have two kids, I have the firm to run and I'm based in Arizona, not in Nevada or Ohio or Michigan. So it is hard. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, So I usually stand up the business um, and then let the operators do their thing or, um, I've sold a couple licenses recently too, just because it didn't make sense for me to stay involved. So that's kind of my personal business model. The firm is amazing and it allows me to make really great contacts and work with people that I believe have what it takes to, you know, kind of get the job done or, you know, be in cannabis. Um, and then my, my licenses, I'll start to apply probably this year for more licenses across the United States. Um, I haven't personally applied for any for myself um, in the last two years. 
So, you know, that's that's interesting, the point you raised there, um, because you said, you know, you've recently sold two licenses because it made sense. And a lot of people don't are looking at acquiring licenses, building them out, but not a lot of people think about really what are the other opportunities, not just around exiting it, but how to build value and then pass it on to the next to, to hand off. How do you approach it? Because that's, you know, something a lot of people don't have the foresight to plan it out that way. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, I, I don't have interest in day to day. I really don't, whether right. that's cultivation or retail or processing. I'm not a cultivator. Mm-hmm. I'm not a processor. You know, you could ask me how to like run those facilities from like a nitty gritty day to day and what the nutrient regiments are and things like that. That's just not my thing. Right. right. I think at an early age and one of the best compliments I've gotten from one of my professional advisors is be good at what you're good at. Mm-hmm and allow other people to do what you're not good at. So if I get a cultivation license or a processing license, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not good at either of those. So there's probably a management team out there or an investor out there that would probably be positioned better than I would be Mm -hmm. um, to run that. Um, If the opportunity came up and I got a license here in Arizona, I'd probably have a very different approach to it. Um, But these businesses are super, super complex and they take a ton of time and energy. And um, I don't like doing things if I can't do it 120%. Well, and you know, that's a, that's an excellent perspective, and it's something which um, you know is refreshing to hear because a lot of people think they can do everything, and it's really in any business it's by focusing and focusing on what's your best at which people succeed, and you know it's also about surrounding yourself with people who are better than you than you in every single way that you build a phenomenal team who takes it on and runs with it, and too many people don't see that and see it coming. And so it's great that, you know, you're bringing that perspective. And how do you advise people? Because you deal with strategy on behalf of others as well. How do you help them understand that and run with it and build with that type of philosophy going forward? So I think that it's like a timeline conversation. I think when people first want to get into the industry, they're overzealous and they're like, we really want to do this and we want to be a family business. And they have all these like rainbow and butterfly like type thought, you know, and so, you know, my job isn't to rain on anyone's parade. It's like to listen and, and, and be insightful. And we're trying to make people successful, help them, help them reach their potential. Right. Right. Um, However, I'm brutally honest. (laughs) So, you know, I have no problem saying like, hey, you know, you guys might sit in a better position to be an investor. Like you guys don't have the skill set to do this. Here's some team members you need. Or, you know, you guys are all fighting and this is going to get into litigation and get tied up for two years. So like you need to sell and exit. So everybody's situation is a lot different. I think And not only was I trying to learn an industry that there wasn't really a roadmap to, I was also trying to get my feet wet as like a business person. So early on, you know, my, my best and most, you know, my best work was done in like Midwest, East coast. And, you know, those are two places where like business just gets done and it gets done at like a really rapid pace. So I think a lot of what I learned from clients back then is there's not a lot of time to beat around the bush and especially in cannabis. So if I see somebody's not fit for the task, I'm, I'm totally 100% fine telling them that. Um, and not in a critical way, but like here are some tools and resources that might, you know, have, have this be less brain damage for you. Um, 
And so I think that like every case is so, 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 so different. Um, you know, the big things we see is people are super overzealous and then they go through the application process and then they're like tired of it. Right. They are oh, yeah. the challenge. Yep. And at that point, it's like, okay, bring an operator in. Or the second thing is, is groups thinking that they're going to work so fabulously together. And then a lot of times it's a bunch of people that have been successful in other industries and then they all come together and there's too many chiefs, right? They want to, they want to tell each other what to do. And if you have, you know, five CEOs sitting in a room, there's going to be some conflict. Um, And so, you know, those, those situations sometimes, you know, obviously turn into litigation or a buyout. Um, But those are probably the two most common cases that we try and have like an expectation setting conversation with somebody. Um, and, And I love the industry, but like, it's not, as easy to make money as it once was. No, it's and not. It's, you know, everybody, everybody was making a lot of money in the early days of cannabis. Cause there wasn't a lot of talent and mm-hmm. there weren't a lot of licenses. There wasn't a lot of access. And now we have huge corporations coming in and, you know, the game's changed. Yep. It has changed. And, you know, it, it's funny that you commented on five CEOs in a room and that's something which I've run across a number of times. And I always try to explain to people, there's always a first among equals. You may all be CEOs normally. Think of yourselves as presidents of the group you're running, but one person has to be able to cut through it all and make the final decision. Absolutely. We do an exercise where we're like, okay, we're forming subcommittees. Right. <laughs> and you can be the CEO of real estate. You can be the CEO of teams. You can yep. be the CEO of operations. And that usually, it sometimes works. <laughs> it sometimes works. Yes, absolutely. It, it takes, you know, but it, if it doesn't work, it actually shows you that it's probably not going to work in the long run anyways. Yep. And you might as well get to that conclusion quicker. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Sarah, we do have to take a short break, but we'll be back in a moment on The Green Peak with Sarah Gullickson. I'm Richard Zwicky. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. And we're back on the Green Peak with Sarah Gullickson from uh, Cannabis Business Advisors. And Sarah, you know, before the break, we were talking about teams and their composition and being able to see quickly if the team's going to be able to come together and gel and ride through rough times and, you know, push through and succeed together. You've built a team at Cannabis Business Advisors. Um, Tell us a bit about it and what makes it successful. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I actually have had two consulting companies in the industry. I I sold my first consulting company in 2018. um, And that that team was about 10 people. Um, And that was when things were busier. And um, this business specifically, we actually only have a team of four people. Um, and then we outsource a lot of our work because a lot of our work is, you know, you need a CPA or you need a you know grower, or you need a processor and you need all that specific industry talent. So we do a lot of our business, um, you know, with independent contractors and really outsourcing for those specific roles. So I don't have to sit in the seat of pretending I'm a grower. Right. I don't have to sit in the seat of pretending I'm a processor. Um, since we've been in the industry, I think I've been in the industry like, you know, 12, 13 years now. We have so much talent that's spread all over the United States because we'll go into a state and we'll work in that state and then we'll go into the next state. So I would say I have an amazing team around me, but not from like your traditional stance. Um, And for me, that's really worked. I mean, some of my contractors I've had for 10 years um, and we just, you know, basically work with them state to state to state. 
And then on the facility side of things, you know, I think that the, the best teams take shape and form, um, you know, when there's a good leader. Um, Absolutely. I think that that's, you know, something that lacks in the industry where people get into the industry because they want to print money or they want to at least say that they have a cannabis investment because it's become, you know, sexy or ideal or whatever the word is you want to attach to it. Um, you know, and we see a lot of teams that are not treating their employees properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I think that if you have a good, fearless leader that really cares about their people and their team, um, you're always going to end up on top. Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting that in an industry where, you know, so many of the individuals started from a, from a position of trying to help people, that within their own operations, they don't, they're not mindful of their own team. You know, it, it's hard, right? So I used to say early in my career, you know, when I didn't necessarily attach 100% to cannabis before mm-hmm. my parents knew and whatever, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, you know, I used to say that my job was to, you know, blend an activist mindset with Wall Street. Yep. And, you know, that's an somewhat impossible task, right? Um, Very challenging. It, it does happen, um, you know, and it's really hard. You know, we're consulting with a, a, a new group right now that has a full vertical license. And, you know, the one person on their team that actually has cannabis experience because it's a new state, um, you know, is your diehard activist. And that's right. great. And that's wonderful. And it can do great things for your facility. But from like a business standpoint, you have to have a meeting of the minds. Yes. Uh, and it has to have like components of each. And those are the teams that we see flourish. Absolutely. And, you know, as you're working with these organizations and they're coming to you really early on, planning out what they're going to do, how they're going to attack the market and everything else, you know, what do you see that they're ignoring or overlooking at the start that really is going to come back and bite them later? I don't think people think enough about actual operations. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that you get so fast and that's like a huge job. We've had lawyers, doctors, very successful entrepreneurs. Everybody tells us that, you know, this process is something like they haven't been through yep. before. So you get so in the weeds with the application and the politics around it and making real estate decisions and raising money. And then there's a lull. And then all of a sudden you're handed this license and it's like, we'll go. Mm-hmm. And everything that we do, like plans for the licenses yep. or tries to plan for the license and the actual operations. But sometimes if there's a six month lull or a year long lull, things have changed for those people or that group. So, you know, the, and then, you know, basically it's a matter of a rat race of getting the tenant improvements done and getting your facility ready. And then all of a sudden you get a approval to operator or ATO and there's like a deep breath and it's like, oh shoot, we need to think about marketing and strategy and where's our website and where's our policies for sales and our manuals and do we need HR and what's our culture? And, you know, some of those things are super, super, super important. But when you're actually acquiring the license and and getting the, the brick and mortar set up, those things tend to go by the wayside. Um, and so th- that list that I just rattled off is pretty typical for almost every single group we've worked with. You know, and that's interesting because I think most people don't realize as they're looking at this industry, how different it is to set up a business in this space than it is in, you know, if you're operating dispensary in a traditional retail, or if you're doing a manufacturing in a traditional manufacturing space, where there really is that start and stop process 
as you're getting going to acquire the license. And depending on the jurisdiction, you know, how far do you need to build out the facility to get the license um, as part of the process? And so right. that's an eye opener for a lot of people who, you know, are, you know, when I, when I built my first retail chain, I'd acquire a, uh, the lease to a space and the next day, I'd be starting to construct and do all the tenant improvements to get the doors open as fast as possible and ordering all the merchandise to fill the stores. That's not the way it works in this space, right? We've got a complete different uh, (laughs) method of operation. Yeah. And there's just so much red tape. Um, I, I don't run the application side of our business anymore. We have a director of licensing that does, Mm-hmm. Um, however, New York and, um, New Jersey have a couple new verticals, meaning there's, you know, more of a wholesale license now. And so in a consumption lounge, and so I'm tackling those things. Right. And so I'm back talking to people that are so green yeah. and, you know, it's like, oh, well, we're just going to put our manufacturing facility in our, our food manufacturing facility. And I'm like, no, 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 you can't do that. <laughs> oh, well, we're going to put it in our strip mall. And I'm like, no, 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 you can't do that. Right. So just, you know, like the, the common things that are like a way of life for me, cause I've been doing this for so long, mm-hmm. you know, your, your, your person, even the person that's getting into the industry doesn't necessarily know that yet. Banking, Absolutely. I mean, there's so many things that are just like red tape where, you know, I was talking to one of my CEOs today and he's like, I'm just running amok. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, welcome to the industry. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, you have this problem today and this problem tomorrow and they're not problems a lot of times that you can really even plan for or anticipate no you know and and, you know that brings another point it is a business just like any other from the perspective of the fundamentals are there Mm -hmm. and the operational challenges and the finance challenges and everything else those are standardized but it's a different product and you've got the additional constraint of the licensing system which is different than anybody else has to face in any sector. And that's where I think it throws a lot of a wrench into a lot of people's day-to-day operations is that constraint of understanding what's the legal framework and how different it is from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Oh yeah. Now we're having like in New Jersey, it's going to be another like California or Michigan situation where every single municipality gets to add their own spin on things. And you know, they don't get to put together their own rules and regulations, but they can tell us how many they want there and what the you know, zoning parameters are. And, you know, if you're you're operating in town A and then you have a second facility in town B, how you operate in town A might be completely different than how you operate in town B. And I get that that's business from like a community standpoint and all of that. But, you know, from a licensing standpoint, like now you have to get your municipality license and you have to get and special use and then you have to get your state license. So it's like license and license on license, which most people can't wrap their head around because it's, you know, highly legal processes. Um, you have to have all your I's dotted, T's crossed. There's so much paperwork involved and there's a lot of expense involved. There is. There is. And, you know, this that process is really going to only negatively impact businesses in the industry when federal legalization happens, because then standardized rules are going to be put in place and the entire framework that many businesses operate to are going to be out the window. Yeah. So my view on federal legalization is probably opposite than, you know, most 95% of people in the industry. And for me, it's terrifying, right? You know, I think that there's a lot of things that the federal government could do to like, 
lighten things up for us. But like thinking about them putting together their own framework and laying it on top of, you know, 50 other states framework. I just think of what happened with California when California went from municipality ran and no state regulations to them slapping the state regulations on top of it. And guess what? They're redoing everything again. What, three years, four years later? Because it's not working. Of course. you know, when you, even when we go from medical to rec or like in Arizona, we were medical and then there was no testing and they implemented testing and then they went recreational. Any time you stack regulations like that, there's discrepancies and there's things that don't make sense. And there's, you know, contradictory phrases and, and, and code. And it just, it's, it's, Somebody's got their hands full on that one. And I, I'm, I'm hoping it's not going to be me. <laughs> you know, I, I, I know what you mean. I mean, I speak to a lot of businesses and, you know, I get calls all the time from people who are looking for advice. And, you know, I do some of that consulting myself. I'm limited because of just time. But the biggest thing that I run into is just compliance. One, very, very few are mindful or even prepared for what's going, what's coming. And it's going to be a tsunami. Yeah. through the industry. And it, it takes planning today for what's going to happen. You know, it doesn't matter if legalization happens in 12 months or, you know, two years. It's going gonna, it's gonna to wipe out a lot of businesses that aren't prepared. And right. that's sad to see because people are spending a lot of time and effort building out, you know, valuable properties that just aren't prepared. Right. When I think that we're going to see the most shakeup in states that have unlimited licenses. You know, the state that has, you know, a handful of licenses, you can plan for that. And I'm not saying I'm like for the monopoly and you mm-hmm. know, all the MSOs and things like that. But, you know, your are two larger state populations, New York and New Jersey. They're basically having, you know, they're accepting licenses on a rolling basis. Yep. No, there's so. nothing but challenges with that. And, you know. Anyways, we do have to take another break, but we'll be back and we can discuss more of that after the break. I'm Richard Zwicky on The Green Peak and we're with Sarah Gullickson from the Cannabis Business Advisors. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. And we're back on The Green Peak with Sarah Gullickson from the Cannabis Business Advisors. And Sarah, you know, we've been talking about all sorts of different aspects. And one thing that came up earlier was a bit of social responsibility. And as far as business planning goes and looking forward, and as you're dealing with companies, how, how do you see companies planning for corporate social responsibility and, you know, education and involvement in the community, but also just how the industry will provide social equity on a broader basis? Yeah. So some of the social equity programs that we're seeing are like super frustrating because you're seeing the MSOs come in, find the, you know, social equity candidate hiding behind them and then basically structure service. Yeah. Yeah. Then, you know, when we get the license, get out of here. And part of me hates that. Right. I think all of me hates it. We have a massive opportunity in this industry to make a difference in people's lives and we squander it by, you know, I think the piece that's missing to the puzzle for me. And then one of the reasons that I don't a hundred percent hate that is because these businesses take a lot of money, like a lot. They do. Yeah. People underestimate the real cost to get going. You can't get a dispensary up and running 
most of the time for less than 2 million and you can't get a cultivation up and running for less than eight. So, and those are cheap, small. Right. And that's like facilities. on the low side, <laughs> a small underserved community yeah. you know, where your real estate's low and, and all the things that we know. Right. Yeah. So there's part of it where I'm like, if you're going to do a social equity program, you need to have a fund attached to that of where these people are getting a loan from and where they're mm-hmm. taking money out or, you know, mentors to help them raise that money. Or, you know, there has to be more than just like, okay, we have social equity and like apply for these licenses. So I feel like it's almost unfinished business to just throw them out there without some sort of a fund for the social equity candidates to draw from. And I'm not being, you know, I'm not making a stereotype or being negative. We've worked with, in Arizona, we just worked with, you know, 20 social equity candidates and not one of the 20 social equity candidates had the money to fund the business. Some of them didn't even have the money to, um, you know, put the license in. So there needs to like one of the states needs to finish it. And like right now it's working in like a half circle, right? right? And if they get some funds attached to it and some incubator programs or um, we're launching some downloadable Mm -hmm. IP and so, or intellectual property. So if, you know, we would give a discount to, you know, social equity candidates and be able to arm them with everything that they needed to work really hard and get the job done. But in my opinion, there's a lot of holes. There are a lot of holes. You know, it, it, the point you bring up about them not having the access to the capital to get going, you know, it's very true. And you look at other jurisdictions, um, you know, I'll use Columbia as an example because I've built a business down there. Um any of the firms that become larger that are producing have to purchase 10% of their product from local farmers. That's and what that does is creates economic diversification, but also allows all of the, you know, these people who have been growing for, you know, agricultural products for years, some of them are growing cannabis, some other things, mm-hmm. but they never had a channel to market and they never had a ma- model by which they could monetize their product. All of a sudden they have that and they're learning how to grow to an international standard because the product has to be saleable. That allows economic diversification and also becomes a means by which the government is forcing some social, you know, some it's corporate social responsibility, but it's also social equity through mm-hmm. the industry. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think that there's obviously a lot of room for ideas like that or concepts like that. I just think that it's not getting written into the legislation and we know no, it's not in the narrative. So yeah. it makes perfect sense. Right. Um, I don't think that the industry is going to go by the wayside and go to all the MSOs or multi-state operators. I do think mm-hmm. that the industry has enough heart and there are enough people and enough, you know, cool and unique concepts that are going to come out and creativity and innovation to keep, you know, the mind pause, like, you know, mm-hmm. keeping them rolling with, you know, kind of everything that's going on. I just, it's becoming a huge, huge gap. Most people who have been in this industry and got in the industry, got in, got involved because they wanted to help people. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's true of many. What I, what I don't like to see is the ones who pay lip service and the moment the door is closed, you know, they're off in a different direction. That That's always disheartening because you're then battling with them as opposed to beside them. Right. 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 Um, and, you know, one of the things that also comes of that and is incredibly impactful, but is a problem for the industry worldwide is education. 
There's physicians who need education about how to use the, the products to really help uh, patients with their conditions. But there's also education for the legislators, regulators, participants in the industry, you name it. How do you see that fitting in? I just think that there's so much innovation that needs to happen mm-hmm. and everybody's more attracted to the plant touching yeah. but we need so much support when it comes to ancillary. Right. Um, I was lucky enough. I got to go on um, one of Tony Robbins shows and went state to state with him. And, and I think I did like four or six or something like that. And it was for your newbies that just wanted to kind of figure it out. And my oh, yeah. whole entire pitch was ancillary, ancillary, ancillary. Like, are you good at marketing? We need marketers. Are you good at legal? We need legal. Right. And so there are, you know, have you worked in the legislative bodies before? We need your the ecosystem around the industry needs to grow. 100%. Simply put, I mean, there's so many opportunities. It's not just, you know, as you said, growing the plant and opening a dispensary. There's so much to be done in between at every stage. Absolutely. And then, you know, I think that, I think, I think we'll get there. Um, and then you're not forcing the, you know, plant touching operators to be good at 900 things. Then they only have to be good at like a hundred things and they can go get independent <laughs> contractors and other, you know, ancillary businesses, you know, to, you know, help them and support them. Um, and I'm, I'm a big fan of that. We've, I've always had in all of my businesses, you know, a custom solution where it's like, if you want to talk to me and, you know, you right. want to pay for that, that's totally great. But like, obviously time is a limited resource for all of us. And so I've always been a big fan of putting white papers out there. We're yeah. launching like some quizzes of where do you belong in the industry and, you know, online downloads or even we're launching courses now where it's like, you want to do this? Here's a course you can take, watch the video, download the IP, And I think that that's going to be super, super important because, you know, the barrier to entry for something like that is, you know, a thousand bucks or less, right? Or a little more, but our custom solutions are 75,000. So you're always going to have, and that's what it takes for us to run the business and to do it in the way that we need to do. So you're always going to have the custom people and the people that want you to do it for them. But there's a huge segment of the market that either understands the industry enough that they just need the backbone of a document to draft it and craft it and submit it. Right. Um, Or people can use it as a learning tool in the sense of, you know, everybody thinks that they want to be in the industry, but do you really? I know. Absolutely. A lot of people don't realize what they're getting into. And, you know, (laughs) a lot of people do and and are going to make a great impact. But it's like anything. Unfortunately, some people just see the dollars and think it must be easy. Well, I think there's this like, you know, undertone of that. It's so fun. And like, I love the industry. And I don't I I honestly, after I sold my company, I was like, am I done? And I had to have like a very heartfelt conversation with myself. And I'm like, I still love this. But I know today, if I went anywhere else, I would be bored out of my mind. Right. But the industry takes a certain kind of crazy Mm -hmm. to not get wrapped up in the details, not get bogged down by the stress. And like the type of person that really thrives off of that is usually best suited for the industry because everybody is not suited for the industry. They're just not. No, that's very true. That's very true. It, uh, you know, it reminds me of a lot of the early days of the internet 
uh, in terms of the dynamic change and the the lack of consistency is the norm, and you better be able to adapt to that and operate in the in an environment of really no transparency. Not because you're not being forthright with others, but because you just can't see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yep, and we don't know what's next. No, we don't. But you know, Sarah, people who you know, we are unfortunately out of our time for today. But people who want to speak to you about what is coming next. And how to, you know, position their businesses and help organize their businesses more efficiently to meet those challenges. How should they reach you and how should they reach the Cannabis Business Advisors? Yeah, so we have a a website, thecannabisbusinessadvisors.com. We give away some complimentary consultations. So if you're thinking about getting into the space or already in the space and need help, um, you can fill out one of our online tools and somebody will be in contact with you. And if you're interested in learning more about me personally and my journey in the industry, it's just saragullipson.com. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us this week on The Green Peak, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks to everybody for listening. I'm Richard Zwicky, and we'll be back again next week. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.